Hello, hello, hello. Welcome hello. to tonight's uh, podcast. Got a little bit of feedback there, but we'll be all right. I, we are joined by three wonderful guests on tonight's episode, which we're calling Medic! We're explaining the whole, uh, using healing in-game. So we have a uh, physical trauma expert, a mental trauma expert, and a fantastic writer joining us tonight. So we're going to go in that order. So starting in the corner with Trauma Tribe, go ahead and give us an introduction. Maybe, perhaps. Miss Garrett. Catherine, can you hear us? You're muted. All right, well, we'll uh, move on until she can hear us. I don't know what's going on here. Um, so, Miss Parker, introduce yourself. Oh, sure. I'm Cheryl Parker, and I'm the owner of Adapt DNA. And I have kind of a two-sided business. On one side, I help people walk through their grief process when they're dealing with loss, all kinds of losses. But I specialize in helping women who are um, have just lost a spouse. So professional successful women in the workplace trying to find their footing, trying to still focus at work while they learn to live again. And on the other side of my business, I also teach mental health strategies. So I go into corporations and I teach them some um, self-care strategies and mental health strategies and adaptability and just creating community in the workplace to support each other through whatever uh, you know that group happens to be dealing with. So that's a little bit about what I do. Fantastic. Any fun plugs or any things you want to shout out, like your website or things like that, before we get too far into it? Sure. Sure. Uh, the website is adaptdna.com. And there's a free download on there. Anybody that's dealing with loss, any sorts of loss, uh, there's a free download called The Seven Stepping Stones to Reclaiming Your Life After Loss. If you just kind of want to dip your toe into a bit of healing. And uh, and my book, uh, My Good Grief, Healing from Loss, is also available on Amazon. Shameless plug. No shame in it, promise. <laughs> speaking, speaking of books, we're going to move on to the other author in the room. Hi everyone. So I am primarily a fantasy author, and um, uh, let's see, I'm from Canada and British Columbia. Um, in terms of what I plan to do as uh, time goes on in my career, um, I'm actually kind of pressing pause on writing right now because uh, after my current book, Black Rose Cocoon, comes out. Um, I have a really big new uh, fantasy project I've been meaning to do for years, but because I wasn't practiced yet, I just didn't bother with it. I wrote the series uh, Boone and Jack, which has five books. I consider that my big practice round for what I wanted to do once I'm, you know, consider myself good. Um, Black Rose Cocoon is my first independent novel which uh, revolves around a female killer in the late 80s. And we focus on four characters that are somehow connected in different ways to this uh, killer. So current books, meaning the whole Boone and Shack series, is available on Amazon as a Kindle and paperback. Fantastic. Uh, any other places they can find you, websites or anything like that yet? Um, same handle for all of it, H.G. Fletcher, for Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and newly done is on Spotify, I have a new podcast called Life as Stories with H.G. Fletcher, which I started three weeks ago. I was going to say, uh, I, I listened to one of those this week, uh, and it was uh, Beauty and Death. Is that, is that what the title was? Death is beautiful. I was close. Dang it. Uh, <laughs> that was a good episode. Did you like it? I did. I did. It was good. Um, all Thank right. you. 
before before we get into the, the fun stuff, one more time over at Catherine. So sorry about that. My name's Catherine Garrett. I'm a podcast host of the podcast called Birth Trauma Stories. I'm a perinatal trauma survivor myself. Uh, a couple years ago, I had an amniotic fluid embolism, which left me disabled. And um, my website is www.birthtraumastories.com. You can find me on threads, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Birth Trauma Stories. Fantastic. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. All right, so we're going we're gonna to push forward here a little bit. So tonight's topic, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the healing mechanics in game, right? So generally on this podcast, we don't get into the nitty gritty of using what spells to use or what potions to find or whatever, because we deal with a lot of systems, right? So this is more of how do you narratively play with injury and how do you make things feel real for your players while keeping them in a safe space mentally, right? Because you never you, you don't want to push things too far to where people just get engrossed in the gross uh, and have to, you know, step away or take a large break or something like that, right? So uh, a lot of this is going to be figuring out what, what people's lines are, and that varies from person to person. I mean, a lot of this is going to be, like, at your own table, at your own discretion. Um, <clears throat> but uh, for setting scenes and stuff like that, oh, I'm going to ask you all individually, so don't, don't, don't feel afraid that you're going to miss this, but um, who should I start with? Let's let's start with Miss Parker again. Miss Parker, um, how would you describe a simple injury? Simple injury. Yes. What is an in mm. injury you would consider simple? Well, I actually am dealing with a simple injury right now. <laughs> it's painful, but it's simple. Um, you know, tearing a muscle is okay. a simple injury. You know, it, uh, it causes some pain, but it still lets you function in life and carry on. Is that what you're kind of looking for? Sure. That's, that's a good description. Yeah. All right. I'm going to jump it okay. over to the next person and uh, keep moving along. All right. Uh, Catherine. I think I would piggyback off of what Miss Parker said. Maybe something like also a broken bone, pulled muscle. Maybe if you need some stitches, you go get fixed up. But really no long-term, like more than several weeks or maybe a couple months of recovery. Several weeks, couple months of recovery. That's a that's a serious injury in my book. But all right, we'll we'll get back to that. Um, I think my perspective has changed. Okay, I mean, so so take that with a grain of salt. Like my perspective has definitely changed okay. after what I've been through. Okay, I mean, we'll get back to that because uh, that's that's important. Because again, we go back into the your tables, your discretion. Some people are going to have a much different experience than other people. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Ag, what's what what's your yeah. description of a simple injury? Well, with my twenty plus years of doing martial arts. As long as you can walk after, you're good. <laughs> so as long as they're still breathing, you know, like, cause, cause one time I had two fractured ribs from getting kicked a little too hard and several times, and I had to go back to my job at that time, which was to, uh, bust tables. So I'm lifting a, a freaking 20 pound, uh, platter over my head when I have my floating ribs pushing in on my lungs. And they're broken, so I'm just going. <gasps> but eventually, it was fine. But yeah, just you know, it's as long as you can push through the pain. That's more temporary. It's just annoyance. Then you're good. Okay, I had to disagree with all three of you on this one. A simple injury is like something you could put a bandaid on. It stops bleeding in a couple oh. minutes. Holy cow! Y'all over here, like, yeah, broken oh, bones are nothing. Oh, I still got blood in me. We're intense. You're killing me, y'all. No, that's that's that, that's good though. But that's that's a great example, right? Yeah. All three of you were kind of on the same track, and I'm over here like, ah, uh -uh, no, simple injury. I, I cut myself and put a bandaid on it. It'll heal eventually, sure. Um, so let's go now. I gotta ask, what's a serious injury? Like, what do you guys consider serious? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start uh, with AG and go backwards this time. Okay. Um, 
I would say a serious injury is when you have no conscious control of what happened to you. So if you end up in a coma or um, you you have such a severe injury that you can't really comprehend what's happening around you, that to me is a serious injury where you just you have no control is what I'm trying to say. Okay. All right. That's a that's a simple description. I like that. A serious injury is something you can't control at all. Okay. Miss Barker. Well, I would say a concussion that leaves you with limitations that are unrecoverable. Okay, that's that's fair. Miss Garrett? I think maybe a little of both. Like, definitely, I've had a concussion before, too, and, you know, that left me, that left me kind of not the same for six months to nine months. Um, and eventually I did get better. Um, so maybe somewhere in the middle. Okay. So not quite. An- definitely, definitely including what AG said of, you know, you're in a coma, you're not aware of what's happening around you, et cetera. Gotcha. Okay. That's a, that's a, a I, I think we can all agree that the serious injury is something that like takes you away from your own body, right? Takes some of your, uh, body autonomy away from you uh, because of it, right? In some form or another. Um, so, I mean, with that, when you're when you're describing this to people, how do you describe that to someone effectively, right? Because you don't want to spend 10 hours trying to describe a feeling. How do you describe it simply to people? I mean, anyone can jump in here. This is... So I actually took a, a training on how to share my story well, okay. and they use this, this idea called an elevator pitch and you have two minutes to pitch your story now how do you do it in those two minutes all right I, I i've only heard elevator pitches for you, uh, uh yeah they stuff, literally have you write out your elevator pitch in the training and like it was it was really helpful okay do you think it would be helpful for narrative purposes to to do something similar when you're trying to describe something strenuous or serious for people i think it depends on your audience i mean is this you know someone who you have a history with is there someone who's going to be in your life for a while you know because it's a you know someone you just come across literally last night maybe don't go into all the gory details that's fair that's fair um for me one one of the methods i use for writing in terms of pacing especially when I'm trying to understand where do I want my character to be in the present moment, meaning what energy will I choose for them to be in? And I'm not, not just them, but the, the, in the environment around them. Because even if you have uh, a serious injury or you put that into your storytelling, um, you also have to understand that there's live elements happening all around this person. Now, it's your choice of how lively you want those elements to be. So, say they're in a deserted uh, apocalyptic area. If they're fine, then it's a matter of what resources do they have to get to uh, the last or the closest bit of, uh, of civilization where they could ask someone for help. But if it's the opposite, where there's you know fire and everything happening all around them, and it's just super chaotic, it's a matter of what are their abilities and their focus and energy at that time to be able to push forward, or do you have them regress because of whatever um, event that happened previous to that? That's that's stopping their motivation to progress themselves forward. Okay, interesting. Joe, you look like you had input on that. What do you got? Yeah, well, I, I was intrigued by uh, by your answer um, because I was thinking along the same lines. It's like, where do you want to take the person that's listening to this story? It's like, uh, what's the intention? Like, where do you want to take them? Like, is it you want to inspire them? Then I'm going to talk about all the positives and and how I've overcome something uh if i want to like lovingly disrupt them so that they really get the seriousness then i'm going to concentrate on the impact that 
the injury has had on me. That makes sense. That's, yeah. Okay. Like think, of, think about uh, Goblet of Fire for for Harry Potter. Um, in the movie adaptation, when there's the uh, the maze the maze scene, Harry Potter is supposed to have a broken ankle, like in the book, but in the movie they decide to just have him run around like he's fine. And and of course, for a bunch of reasons, they cut a bunch of creatures out of it. So to me, the movie movie industry likes to water down things because they think a character can't be too injured. Because if they're too injured, then it becomes harder to film it, and the story becomes um, harder to understand for a simple audience. Where writers prefer to have it be more gripping and in- increase the level of stakes to make it more palatable, to make it more intriguing. Because when you put someone in true peril, then it's a matter of how much pure will do they have? Not how injured are they, but how how much motivation do they have to look past that pain? And it's just the same as being a human being. How hard are you willing to test your own spirit to, to, despite the severity of whatever injury or even um, emotional trauma that you're going through. Now, you kind of touched on it at the end there. Um, Emotional trauma and physical trauma are deeply intertwined. Would you guys agree? Absolutely. So, I mean, speaking on that, um, where where do you guys fall under your uh, desire to explain that to other people? Like what? How uh, how do you guys fuse your connections when you're explaining those two concepts? Um, because sometimes a cut to the wrist that leads to infection might not be detrimental or a serious injury, but how they got the injury might be considerably more traumatic, right? Um, something simple that could be super terrible, or something super terrible was just like it just happened. Yeah, you know, you know, there's no traumatic event because I just experienced it. I didn't have much time to react to it. Um. How do you guys intertwine or decombine for the two of you that kind of work more on the, the recovery aspect of it? How do you guys deal with that? Well, I know for me, being a grief expert, it all boils down to grief. Uh, so I quite often take um, concepts like in a corporate setting, dealing with stress and dealing with um you know, the the adversity in your jobs, I can kind of intertwine it with grief. For example, I went into a large organization recently. They had just returned back to the workplace after COVID. They were all working from home and they pivoted. Then they come back to work and they were all struggling with their mental health. And so I went in and I explained how grief plays a role in this. And how, you know, their their routines have been disrupted. So any loss, any disruption in your life can be relatable back to grief. So I'm always kind of intertwining mental health and grief and anything that you're dealing with. Like when I was dealing with my concussion, it was like loss of routine, loss of income because I was off work, um, you know, loss of executive function. Uh, loss of, um, you know, my social life because I had to stay at home and and I couldn't drive. Like, so there's just so many losses wrapped up in in a circumstance. Okay. Ms. Garrett, you got anything to add to that? Or any opinions? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, my experience has been a lot of grief. I mean, I walked in to have a baby and then I'm being wheeled out in a wheelchair. And I know like a lot of new moms are wheeled out, but you know, I've had to use accessibility devices for four and a half years now. And that's, that's, I'll say it. It's weird. It is. It's, it's, it's weird, but you know, we take it one day at a time. And, you know, as far as how I share that on my podcast, I'm pretty much an open book because that's my quote unquote safe space in my everyday life. I have more filters, you know, because there's studies that show when you share your story to empathetic listeners, your brain chemistry actually changes to the way your brain views that event. But 
the opposite can happen too. So you have to, you do have to be careful on who you share with and how much, but Cheryl, I, I, it, what you're saying totally makes sense. I mean, even just with the disruption of COVID, like that was a massive trauma to so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so you're going back to the, the first bit of that question, right? How do you decouple or uh, recouple those two thoughts and opinions? Obviously, I think we got the coupling down. They, they link really easily. But how do we disengage the traumatic part from the physical part? Is there a way to do that simply in your guys' opinion? I think it's a matter of how you react to your past. Okay. Meaning, yes, the event, the event's over. Now it's more like, well, what's left is you. It's your reaction, your your current emotional state, your current physical state, and how can you separate um, the stored energy from that event and into your your current being? Because uh, I actually talked to a trauma expert um, when I was working on the last book of Boon and Jack, and she was talking about self-traps, which is where... Um, if you suppress emotion for a long time and it starts to create self-traps, meaning vices that you use to cope with this pain that you haven't actually outwardly dealt with it. And part of that is not being able to separate your emotional pain to your physical pain. So, for example, for me, for the first four years after my mom passed away, um, I had had like acid reflux for two months around the anniversary of her passing because I had never actually fully dealt with the grieving process. So my body was literally rejecting and fighting the uh, stored energy um, that I was not releasing. So when it comes to incorporating that into storytelling in order to separate them, really it's about separating the person from their... uh, mental health status that can tie into how they toxify their physical being. So it's it's just a matter of being able to just get it out of your system, however, whatever method you want to use, and also understand that it's not about um, avoiding the negative feeling, but working through it so that you deal with it as soon as you are able to, and then the the recovery comes afterwards. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, 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 go. I was going to say that um, uh, my eight-year-old daughter died uh, years ago, and uh, I was able to donate her organs. And at the time, Don Cherry and Mike Harris were putting together the Trillium Gift of Life organization. And when they found out that Rachel, five weeks before, I was reading a newspaper article about a little boy who had undergone a lung transplant. And she's speaking over my shoulder. She's asking me questions. And I told her about it. And and she said, well, when I die, I want to donate my organs. And so five weeks later, when she was at the kids hospital and pronounced brain dead from a condition called ITP the doctor said have you considered organ donation and I said no but she had and I mean their mouths dropped (laughs) but they they were amazed and at the time that was what they were trying to advocate was people sharing their wishes around organ donation so Rachel became a bit of a poster child and I did a lot of public speaking and I was in the acute stages of my grief but like you were saying, it's like to be able to separate and, and share the story, um, knowing that, you know, what I learned was like I could take a tragedy and I could inspire people. And that was so, so powerful. So I would kind of park my grief at the door. I would share the story and then I'd go home and I'd be like flat out for two days. <laughs> so I, I did find a way to decouple my my emotions and my grief uh so that i could share the story and make a difference and that ultimately led me to doing my grief work so it was uh, a very powerful exercise 
Any follow-ups to that? Oh, all right. Well, I uh, thank you. I guess is the pro appropriate bit to that part of the story. <laughs> um, obviously, some they were able to change someone's lives, not to include your own. Um, and that's probably one of the most important things, uh, especially for the next bit of this podcast, which is going to talk more about the healing side of things, right? We've talked about what an injury is and the bad things that come with it. Now we get to talk about the improvements that can come from it or the changes, right? Um, uh, expert in the room over here, someone who's been in, been, went and walking, came out in a wheelchair. Um, what are what are what are some of the ways that you found have kind of come past that in a positive light or have you oh definitely yeah i mean uh first and foremost is my faith in jesus christ our lord and savior um it's you know the when my world feels like it's well the world is literally spinning but metaphorically too when you know my world feels like it's unraveling, that's that's the basis that I I go back to every single day. Um, more important, another huge aspect is my family. My husband's incredible. Like you can imagine what this has been like for him. You know, watching his wife code in front of him multiple times is not, not what you sign up for when you get married, but it happened and. He has taken it one day at a time, and uh, he's just, like I said, incredible. Um, I also think uh, AJ was talking about <clears throat> a couple, about a month or two before the anniversary of his mom's death, he would get physical symptoms. I, I too, um, don't necessarily get physical symptoms around the anniversary, but take time to reflect back because, you know, when I first woke up, I couldn't sit up. I couldn't stand from a chair. I couldn't even read a clock. Like I, I had a stroke as well. And so my cognitive functions were very depleted. And so it, it really helps me personally to look back at pictures and videos and um, books, cards, letters from, you know, well-wishers. Um, that's what works for me personally. I know everyone's different and what works for them. And I think the most important thing is you have to find what works for you. Okay. So, so again, to, to wrap this into perspective of a, a character in a story or a character at a table, uh, when they're going through their physical or mental healing process, the finding the process that works for them is probably the most appropriate way uh, to phrase it. Right. Um, you know, we can we can make fun of them chugging a potion and their bones magically snapping back together and their cuts and bruises healing. Uh, but that in itself has got to be uh, a situation, right? Because, you know, feeling better doesn't always mean you feel better, right? You can you can heal from an injury and there still be pain, even if there's no outward signs. Um, excuse me. Sorry. Um, so with that. Um, what are some other positive, uh, effects of the healing process that you guys have gone through? I'm going to go back to AG for a little bit to give him some, some time to talk about, but, but like in your books and in your characters, have they ever had like a, uh, a healing moment or something that along those lines? Yeah. So in book three called, uh, Saddleton Haunting, um, there's a scene where they're in the middle of a forest, uh, Boom, Jack, and Shammy. Um, and it's kind of like the lull of the story where they're kind of gathering information about where to go next for their adventure. And um, it's not just, you know, sitting down and enjoying your little break from hell. <laughs> um, it's it's more like... The thing I, I, I noticed over time when it comes to when you're going through something is there are moments where you are just breathing. And that's what I incorporate into my writing where I can't <laughs> have my characters running on fire the whole time because then there's no um, payoff to their maturity. And even if they're a grown adult, there, there's obviously going to be some kind of growth. There, there's no growth if there's no breath. That, that That's crazy. 
um, if to 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 obligate your characters to just keep going, they're gonna stop eventually, and it's not gonna be towards the end. It's it's a matter of asking yourself, when do I want my character to stop and think, and when they do stop, how are they thinking? Because um, not everyone um, reflects on their um, their events or mistakes in the same way. And that's where we get to see, really, who the character is. Because anyone can, can look at animators. And an animator can obligate a character to move. But a writer can only um, write a text block of what that is. So you have to really play on psychology to really um, echo what we do physically and and of course what we do internally how we think how so how do you externalize that emotion well it's a matter of how do they externalize their how much of themselves do they want to externalize towards others meaning other characters and what level of intimacy do i want to create in terms of the environment in that scene so it's a matter of what is the proximity to each character um, what kind of chemistry do I want them to have, and how does the environment around them um, play to their strengths and weaknesses? That kind of thing. Gotcha. So, so outward expression—that's a—that's a super interesting segue for that one, um, because a lot of healing is. Uh, viewed through your external expression, right? When doctors ask you how they're feeling, you don't, they don't know until you tell them. You can have your arms sticking in an awkward angle and they're still going to be like, they might be a four, they could be a ten. I don't really know. Until you externally tell them, hey, this is how I'm feeling, um, they're going to have a hard time, right? Uh, but that's the same for stories and characters, right? Your character could be having a deep traumatic moment or a physically painful instance. Um, but the viewers or the readers or the players won't know unless you externally, externally express those bits and feelings, right? As a, someone who's telling the story as a whole or the players that are participating in stuff and things, uh, the external uh, projection of how you are feeling. And it could be internal monologue, right? It doesn't have to be external, especially if it's for readers or people that are listening along. Uh, they don't they don't have to have that, uh, you know, outward. They're still being a badass but on the inside. They're crying because, you know, shark ate their puppy and they're not feeling good about it. Um, but uh, kind of on that, like how important is the external, sorry, external expression uh, for the healing process? Like how how important is it to say this is where I'm at? Right. This is what happened to me. This is how it feels to me. What do you guys think on that one? How um, important is that? To, to me, it's about the author's choice of do I want this character to be alone or not? And and do they express their their themselves um, out loud by themselves or with other people? Like take again, again, take Harry Potter, for example. As the series progresses, Harry becomes more and more isolated because more tension is on him in the negative sense. And therefore, he becomes more agitated and very teen angst, but also feels extremely alone. And he starts to express himself with anger because he doesn't feel like he has anyone he can trust. So he has no choice, especially in his development, but to express that ex uh, that frustration. So... Say you're writing nonfiction for for the other end of the spectrum. There's still the story element that has to be played in there, where you have to tell the audience why uh, this event in particular at this point of time really um, um, triggered this person into being who they were at that time, and what what does it tell us about them? And who is writing this nonfiction book? Is it someone who knows this person personally? Or is it something political where they're just being an outsider and trying to kind of understand what that person might have been feeling at that time based on whatever they did? 
interesting. Interesting thought. Miss Parker. Yeah, I am a big advocate of expressing um, while you're going through the healing. Um, now, that doesn't have to be verbally. It doesn't have to be in front of an audience. It doesn't even have to be a person, even if it's journaling or sitting quietly in silence. But somehow to get uh, your emotions expressed, I think, is very critical in the healing. Uh, I think no two people will do it the same and no two people will do it on the same timeline. But I think that expressing it is a very, very big part of the healing process. And I think that we need to allow ourselves to, to give ourselves permission to grieve and to allow all of it. I, I just really believe like people need to be free to be real, you know, because society certainly isn't going to give us permission to heal. So uh, I think that it's, you know, when you're, when you think about books and stuff, it's like you can take your character anywhere and it wouldn't be unusual for a character to stuff it because that's certainly an acceptable way to kind of carry on in society and just muscle through. Um, but if you are going to, oh, my cat's <laughs> jumping up here. Uh, but if you are going to develop your character and you're going to have your character have that, um, situation or um, experience grow that character or mature that character or have that person wake up and and be enlightened by this experience then for sure I think having that having those feelings expressed is definitely going to be part of that okay last but not least over in the what, what are your thoughts on this Sorry, did you call me? Yes, you. Good. Sorry, on Sorry, my screen, you're the last one in line. So you're, you're... <laughs> That's okay. Um, I mean, I agree with what everyone else said. I mean, I, I agree. You have to find what works for your character. You have to find what works for you. You have to find what, where you want to take the story as well. You know, that's, you have to have kind of a vision. And, you know, in relation to my life, I've kind of had to, figure out like what direction do I want to take my life in you know and a lot of that has been talking it out journaling um, and you know I think I think it does mature a person you know I've heard it said before that um, the hardships that you go through will be someone else's survival guide you know and that sense of community whether that's in storytelling or like with my podcast um, I have the trauma tribe we do a virtual support group, um, and that's what that's the community we found. But that's such an important piece of, in my opinion, that's such an important piece of the healing. And if you're an introvert and don't want to share your story with anyone else, that's okay too. You can find your community in a journal. I was gonna say, I, I mean, for the for those that have a hard time expect, uh, expressing those things externally, right? Because again, going back to as characters, there's lots of times where you want to be Billy Badass, um, but you, you're you still playing a person. They still have feelings. They still have whatnot. So what is a what is a good way for those kind of people or characters to uh, express themselves? You said journaling, so I, I, th I think that's a good way. Do you guys have other thoughts or opinions on how to express that uh, via either real life or in story? Can I jump in real quick, too? Of course! I think, like, you know, with something that, you know, millions of people around the world do every single year, having a baby, it's really, it can be, it can add layers of grief when it doesn't go to plan, so to speak, or it doesn't go, go the way you thought it would. And so I think enveloping yourself in a world that is not necessarily your real life or your real world can promote healing as well. Oh yeah, don't, don't I'll get started on the the benefits of playing games and getting past your trauma that way. But I'm saving that for the last ten minutes. So <laughs> the next. Oh, okay. Second. Sorry, uh, I jumped ahead a little. No, no, you're quick. good. You're good. Stakeways are great. We we're heading in the right direction. Is all that means. Um. <laughs> all right, uh, Miss Parker, what about you? Do you have any 
Yeah, well, or... I mean, it can it can be expressed anyway, right? Like you can have your character being badass and and you know acting out, and that can be an expression of you know something that you're going through, or um, drinking excessively, or anything excessively, you know, working out, um, you know, beating up people, like whatever. So yeah, it can be a lot of different expressions. Okay. AG, anything to add? Uh, see, to me, expression in terms of the the pacing and progression of storytelling, it's not that simple for me in terms of how I want the story to progress and how I want the character to express themselves. Because it's a matter of not how much I want to hold the character back, but when I want them to play a certain energy. Because their energy is tied or tethered, really, um, to the environment around them that I am manipulating to extricate um, whatever kind of uh, step I want them to take to move the story in a certain way. So, say um, I've put them through peril and there's a quiet moment, I have to decide. Do I take them away from their comfort zone or do I I cocoon them into a small space where they're isolated and it's dark and now they're it's kind of like they're in a quiet box and now they have to ask themselves how much anxiety do I have and how do I act in a moment of anxiety because if they naturally, like me, have severe anxiety um, and they've basically exhausted themselves physically, all they have left is their mind. And I ask myself, well, how do I want their mind to play with or against them? So it's, and it goes for any, for any form of storytelling, whether it's a game or just a book or a movie or a series, whatever it is, it's it's your choice as an author to decide um i want to punish this character or i want to reward this character for having done gone through this so say um you're playing dnd and there's the dun dungeon master it's their choice to decide when to put the fire out based on your role um and then if you are writing a fiction novel it's that's that's a bit more diff it's a bit more difficult because you have to really pay attention to every nuance of the story that so you see um what is your idea of reward and punishment for each character and how do you want the the world to um control them and how do you want them to control the world around them and vice versa nice okay so I'm going to ping off something you said there, uh, rewarding, rewarding yourself, right? Or, or how you reward your characters. Um, in your guys' experiences, have you had the positive rewards be the majority of what you've gotten for working through these experiences that you had? Or has it just been way more negatives that way the positives? Where, where are you guys is, where are your guys' heads at in that space? For a reward? For reward or uh, punishment. You know what I mean? When you work your way through the healing process, right? As you said, the author gets to pick whether they're rewarded or punished for going through that experience. As a personal question, you guys, and feel free if you want to avoid this question, you don't have to answer it. But do you, where do you feel like you fit on that scale? I think it depends on who's in their environment. If there's no one in their environment that wants to provide them the reward, right. then they no, go no. see. But you and your stuff. Oh, you mean me? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I won't talk about myself. No, I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, it, it's kind of the same answer. Um, I I like seeking the reward myself because it's my it's in my choice and it's in my control instead of someone's idea of a reward for me. Um, because they they only have some idea of who I am. Like you know. People like to say, oh, I'm very honest with my with my partner. It's like, yes, but we all have 
things like that very small nugget of of um things that we keep to ourselves so sometimes we reward ourselves because we know ourselves better than anyone and therefore we know what what exactly that version of a reward means to us now the opposite punishment is something that i've i've found that we tend as human beings to do more easily than reward not because we hate ourselves but because it's easier to embrace pain than to um work through pain and then find the reward after so um whenever i've been in pain um there are times where i'm staying in it too long but then i take a step back as i've gotten older i realize i've realized what i'm doing to myself and that's where i find the reward of oh i'm staying in this moment a little too long why and then i find the answer and then i find the reward and then i just carry on solid philosophy to say the least miss parker what about you and your your current personal journey where do you think you're at on the the scale there yeah, well, I think initially, especially after Rachel died, I felt like I was very comfortable with the punishment, being in the sadness, being in the acute stages of grief. But I also was very aware that I was going to be the author. And uh, it was up to me to write my story. And, and I definitely chose reward. And I have so often said I would not wish the death of a child on anyone, but I would not trade the lessons for anything on what I learned and who I've become from the experience. So definitely, I weigh heavy on rewards. Ms. Garrett. I actually used to be an animal trainer, so I'm a huge advocate for positive reinforcement. And that's kind of a reward base. 100%. Um, yeah. That's yeah, definitely a huge advocate for rewards. And um, piggyback off of what AG said, I think we punish ourselves because we tend to be our own worst critic, which I think is a flaw of the human race as, as a whole because, <laughs> you know, our loved ones around us typically aren't as hard on us, but. I think we tend to be our own worst critic, but I definitely, even like in achieving like rehab goals, you know, I'll, I don't know, buy myself a coffee or go get my hair done or, you know, something, something like that. Those are fantastic rewards, especially when it's good coffee. But you know what else would be a good reward? A cool, shiny sword, like we do in our silly tabletop role playing games, right? That was that for a segue. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Mr. Daggerhouse here was kind enough to add something to the uh, uh, discussion here to kind of pop into our last topic. Uh, he says you can use games to try various solutions to the trauma or expressing the trauma or working through the trauma that doesn't necessarily have to have a real life cost, which is a huge advocate point that we have as a company and as a group and why we think these silly games are so important for people. You know? um, first time we kind of thought about this was we had a really good session with someone dealing with their in-game father, just just jerk of a character the entire time. Um, and to clarify, I'd never met this man's father in my life, but apparently I did a really good job and just nailed the character, right? Um, he got an entire session's worth of working through that trauma with his dad that he didn't get to, right? Get to got to metaphorically punch the dude in the face. I don't think he actually came to blows in the game, uh, but it, there was discussion and... Uh, all this other stuff that was wrapped up into it that like was me. I just acted having a great time. He was living through an event. Um, and his reward at the end of that was like catharsis, right? He got, he got to say the things he didn't get to say. Cause at that point, his uh, father had passed on quite some time ago, right? We had missed that opportunity to be an adult saying the things he needed to say to the people he wanted to say it to. Um, and, and all kinds of TTRPGs, D and D, Big popular one, right? But if you want to run around in space as an alien or uh, run around modern time as an office worker or something, so whatever whatever fun game you're playing, right? You can have those situations in a safe place where you're not going to hurt yourself, right? Uh, 
real life cost is a wonderful adjective to throw onto it, right? Because it is just the real life cost is your time. You're going to sit down for four hours to do these things, right? As a joke, we uh, we like to call our stuff like cheap therapy um, because that's what it is. You get to roll dice and run th- run through these scenarios. Um, but dealing with death and tragedy in a safer scale is way easier to mend those wounds that we don't even realize we're carrying around. Uh, you get to you get to sit back and go through your grieving processes, and sometimes it's over like a pet seagull. Our our mascot is a great example. When uh, we killed the seagull for the first time in the the last group, the entire group freaked out because that was the uh, personification of all of their childhood pets in one character. Was it was it anything more than a seagull wearing armor? No, that that's all Squawk was seagull wearing armor. Uh, but the amount of effort and things that they got to do to bring that seagull back to life made that seagull the most important character for the entirety of whatever we're doing for i don't know how many sessions it took us to get this silly seagull back to life but it was a couple but that's all they cared about um so being able to do stuff like that where it is underhandedly uh helpful right helps you get that reward the reward of bringing the seagull back to life right you didn't get to save your dog when it got ran over as a kid but you can save the seagull in the in the game right you can get that fake happy feeling for something that you can truly care about in a safe place, right? Because if you don't bring the seagull back, then the seagull just stays gone, right? You find a new seagull, you get a new fancy sword, whatever. Um, There's a continued adventure past those events. And sometimes that's just as an important of a lesson is that the adventure still continues, right? Whether or not the Mm. seagull dies, the adventure still continues. It doesn't just stop at the end. Now, if all your characters die, then, then we do a different story. But uh, that aside, <laughs> uh, those are those are kind of the 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 positive bits of the TTRPG side of things, right? The the role playing, the sitting together, and you know, you talked about community, uh, finding the community in your friends or just random people that you found and brought together is extremely powerful because sooner rather than later, you will find that you relate on a, a plethora of levels from from spiritual to uh, educational to whatever, right? There's you're gonna find something at that resonates with you with everyone at the table at some point. Now, at the end of the day, do you have to like everyone who's at the table? No. Is that generally the case? Yeah, most of the time you're going to like most people at the table. Every once in a while you got people that just don't mesh and that's what it is. Uh, But besides that, generally people are going to get along and have a great time, right? So you're going to build in those communities. You're going to jump in those communities. Um, And a really nice thing, just for those of you that may or may not have played before, uh, is that these places are generally a very positive interaction, right? No matter what side of the communities you go into, you're going to find positive people that are trying to do the best of whatever they're doing, Um, which kind of goes back into the healing process of surrounding yourself with good energy, right? We'll we'll, we'll use that term, right? Uh, AG's used the term energy quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to piggyback off that, where if you can surround yourself with that good positive energy that will give you those rewards, that will help you get to that next step, that will be like, Hey, you fell down. Get back up. You got this, right? If you can find that, you're going to push through things and help uh, yourself as much as anyone else, right? And sometimes you'll help yourself without realizing that's what you're doing. Play games. Have fun. Do the thing. So, we got a couple minutes left, which means uh, time for final thoughts and wrap up. So, we're going to do final thoughts first, uh, and then we'll give you guys your promo at the end. Um. So, who should we start with? Uh, we're going to start at the opposite end again. Uh, so starting with Miss Garrett. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I think that this conversation was really needed. I think there's so much value in finding that community to promote healing and working through the hearts, but having fun at the same time. Um, although hard and fun don't generally mix very well, but both are, both are extremely valuable. Parker. Yeah, I think it's it's a great conversation, and I love the um, just the diversity of you know where you guys can take your characters, and you know being open to hearing different aspects of healing and uh, of the uh, you know the grief and and the trauma and whatnot, but just the willingness to take your characters there and and to be vulnerable. I think it's amazing. 
Fantastic. Mr. Fincher. Hello. Um, so what I think actually would really summarize our discussion is actually a quote uh, from Guillermo del Toro. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's the Mex- Mexican uh, film director who's done a lot of stuff. Um, he said that in order for life to begin, it has to end. And that means to see death as a beautiful thing, which is what you heard, uh, Roger, in my podcast. And what I was really saying is that, you know, it, it still applies to, to, to even gaming. Because if death is meant to be this, you know, beautiful end of the cycle that you're supposed to see as an opportunity to maximize as much value in the lifespan or your uh, soul contract, if you want to call that. Um, um, how much do you want your character or you to go through in that piece of time that they have? And really, it's a matter of asking that person, what are you doing from A to Z in your life? And what do you want that timeline to represent? Because some people think they have a predetermined life. That's nonsense. You do not have a predetermined life. Because that would mean your your thoughts and decisions are cemented. Not true. Everyone's decision-making is very dependent on emotion and decision-making. That reflects how do you re- uh, react to your own um, diagnosis and trauma. So, yeah. Fantastic summary. Well, that leads us into our self-problems. I want to actually start with you since you you finished the summary so well. We'll just go back down the line and then I'll finish because you know I have stuff to talk about at the end. <laughs> okay, so uh, like I said, I have a book coming out, Black Rose Cocoon, which comes out late February, maybe March. Um, I guess the way I could do it, like a one log line, is four characters that have become a person of interest to a female killer in a city called Halberton, um, is targeting little girls because of whatever trauma that she's gone through. And we see how these uh, city people go from being in a city to being taken away from that environment and are isolated somewhere where they thought they'd never be. Now, like I said, I'm going to take a big break of writing uh, from that because... Project Zafutra, which is what I'm calling it because I'm not really sure on the title, um, is going to be what I call Harry Potter if Malfoy family was the, was the center of attention and if it was taking place on a desert. So that'll be my next project in the next year or so. And I have a bunch of other things I'm going to probably do, but uh, that's it for now. Fantastic. And again, where can people find you? What's your what's your website that people can get to get? All right. Uh, for our social media, H.U. Flitcher, the handle is for Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. And of course, you can you know, listen to my podcast, Life as Stories with H.U. Flitcher. And yeah, that, that should be about it. Fantastic. Miss Parker, promo time. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Visit us at my website, www.adaptdna. Uh, signature uh, program, My Good Grief, Dealing with Grief, and uh, and my mental health strategies. So, yeah, join us at the website. Fantastic. All right. Ms. Garrett. Again, the uh, podcast is called Birth Trauma Stories. We're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. So you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The website is birthtraumastories.com. And same handle at Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Threads. Fantastic. All right. Well, now it's my turn. Wahaha. Uh, you guys get to listen to me complain about the fact we got an event this weekend. I got to work to tomorrow and the next day. Uh, I will be at the local... Uh, Gavorum all, and we will be causing havoc, playing games, selling stuff, uh, all weekend long. Uh, so come out, come see us there. Um, we will be having Avatar Their, uh Legends session on Monday this week. We will not be having a and d session this week because it falls on Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday all at the same day. So we will be skipping the gaming that night. 
uh, and you guys will just have to suffer for an extra week or two without it. Um, you you can uh, you can spend time with your significant others, uh, and if you don't have t significant others, watch our videos. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> but that aside, um, oh, this month we have a new code. Um, sorry, totally forgot. Uh, it's, it's love, L-U-V, all capitalized, 907. Uh, love 907. Get you 10% off at all of our discounting stuff on the website. Um, and that's all I got. So thank you guys all very much. Uh, stand by for the music and, uh, we'll talk to y'all soon. You guys get to hear the new song. We're going to throw it in at the end here. Wahaha. Ha.